Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I'm joined by my Thunder Buddy. He is the Thunder beat writer for the Oklahoman, Joe Masato. What's going on, Joe? Not much, Michael. Uh, actually, that's a lie. A lot is going on. It's uh, it draft draft buzz is in the air. Uh, two days away from the NBA draft, I'm heading out to Brooklyn tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, our last our last pre draft podcast. This changes everything. Never the same after Thursday. I mean, nothing will ever be the same after Thursday. You could really say that about any day, but like the NBA specifically, that that is a true statement. Um, Victor Wembanyama is throwing out the first pitch at the Yankees game tonight. That's exciting. Um, yeah, that's about all I have you, to add on that. You're reminding me of Mark whenever somebody asked him about... Um, about New Year's resolutions. And he goes, I don't believe in like having a certain calendar date define when I'm going to start changing things. If I want to change it, I just change it. Yeah, that was a, uh, that speaks to Mark's level of self-discipline, I suppose. He doesn't need a date on the calendar to stop eating Jolly Ranchers or whatever it may be. I feel like they have zero candy in his house, but <laughs> um, I saw this on social media. It looks like Shay's going to get engaged as a married man. Do you have any advice for Shay? Well, first off, congratulations uh, to Shay and his fiance. That's very cool. Um, my advice, despite you know him being a busy man, is chip in, chip in where he can. Um, I'm sure his wife to be is going to make a lot of decisions, but try to uh, just don't stand on the sidelines. I think that's a, I think that's the wrong thing to do, unless that's what she wants you to do. So, Shay. That is my advice. I will give him no fashion advice on what suit he should wear because he's probably got that um, all sorted out. Um, I imagine the budget for his wedding might be a little higher than it was for mine. Um, So, yeah, other than that, I just got married in September. That's about the only parallels between uh, these two events. So listen to your wife, unless she doesn't want you to listen, then don't listen. But at the same time, make sure to listen. <laughs> but she probably still wants you to listen. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a very tricky line. Very tricky. Something's not as tricky before we get into some Thunder stuff is I just want to remind everybody about the giveaway that we were doing on Twitter uh, that Joe and I and the Thunder Buddy Pod uh, Twitter handle will be tweeting out. We'll do that again later. Make sure to get on that as we are giving away the NASCAR Shea jersey. But Let's get into some uh, Mitchich madness here, Joe. Vasily Mitchich came out yesterday, and you confirmed this, that he was in Oklahoma City. What else can you um, expand upon in that? Well, that's the only concrete information um, I have. So, um, obviously, first reported by a European outlet that that Mitchich um, was here in Oklahoma City. Just for some background, Vasily Mitchich, one of the best players uh, who is not in the NBA. He's a uh, former EuroLeague MVP, multiple-time EuroLeague champion uh, for FS in Turkey. Um, he is a uh, 29-year-old Serbian guard. Uh, he was drafted in, gosh, 20... 2014. Yeah, 2014. I was about to say that, and it seemed too long ago, but it's true. Um, drafted by the Sixers, he was included in the Al Horford trade. To the Thunder, the Thunder have since owned his rights, and ever since the Thunder has owned his rights, we go through this game every summer. 
um, called the, the Will Vasily Micic come to the NBA? That's the name of the game. Um, the answer up to until this point has been no. I have uh, pretty much been out on the conversation because I've never heard anything that it's been likely that he is even willing to come to the NBA, much less to play for the Thunder. Um, I think his agent has done a fantastic job in using this NBA flirtation as leverage to get bigger and better deals in Europe. But I will say this is a new step. And as I wrote at Oklahoma.com, perhaps a significant one in that this is this is real now, um, that he is interested uh, in playing in the NBA. However, that could be with the Thunder, that could be with someone else. And even if he is interested, um, it's up to the Thunder to facilitate such a deal. So still a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, 6'5 guard, 203 pounds, 29 years old. Um, considered one of the best international guards of the past few years. He played with Jokic last summer for Team Serbia um, for Eurobasket, I think. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, like you mentioned, he's a three-time All-EuroLeague selection, led his team to two EuroLeague titles in 2021 and 2022. He was EuroLeague MVP in 2021 and was Final Four MVP of both 2021 and 2022. Most uh, recently in the Turkish League, he averaged 15 points, four and a half assists, two rebounds, per game on 53 46 93 shooting splits in 30 uh, regular season games his team went eight and won the playoffs on the way to a turkish league uh ring including him winning the regular season mvp for the turkish league he's very good um there's no denying that how that translates to the nba i don't know i think he would be a solid player, probably a rotation player. I'm not even, I, I don't know if he would be like a high impact starter in the NBA. It's just so hard to know. Um, doing a little bit of research earlier today, there, there's not a lot of precedent of EuroLeague players or really any foreign player coming to the NBA around age 30 or past that and really having a high level impact. Uh, you'd have to go a long ways back. Arvidas Sabonis is probably the best example. Uh, was an NBA star uh, coming over in his early 30s, I think. Micic is going to be 30 in January. Um, other names that come to mind recently, like Taya Dosic, you know, didn't yeah. really pan out. Um, we just had Campazzo play in, in Denver a couple of seasons ago. Uh, Pablo Prigioni, now, he was much older. I think he came over and he's like 34, 35. But, you know, he was he was a role player, at least, you know, played significant minutes in the NBA. So um, the big difference between Micic is like, you know, most of these European studs, like a Luka Doncic, like a Victor Wembanyama, um, even like, you know, a high-end prospect like Poku, who, who might have this, you know, uh, ceiling. Usman Jang, they, they come over m- much earlier. That's not been the case with Micic. He's in a pretty good situation. Um, he's a superstar in Europe, and you know, there's no guarantees that he's going to be that in the NBA. And I think that's some of his hesitation. I think he wants to be in a situation in which he can be a primary ball handler, have a significant role. That's why I'm uh, quite iffy on his fit with the Thunder. Um, we can get into this, but I think it's, I think if there's a deal to be made, um, it's more likely that the Thunder trades him and then he signs 
with whatever team that is than him signing with the Thunder. But to move him, you would um, you wouldn't necessarily have to sign him and then trade him. You could just trade his rights to somebody who then could sign him. That's correct. So there's not yeah, really but, a big cap hit or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, if this were to happen, and it's difficult because like Michich technically wouldn't be allowed to talk to other teams. So you know, if he had a if he had a deal in place, he's he's talking to Team X. I'm gonna sign at this amount. Well. I'd be tampering. Like it would still be up to the Thunder to trade his rights to that team and for that team then to use their cap to sign him. Um, so if you see him traded, it is going to be with the guarantee that he is going to sign with. No, no team is going to yeah. trade for his rights just for the fun of it and do what the Thunder has done these last few years. Um, really, uh, he has all the leverage in this case because. He basically gets to pick his destination, and if the Thunder, if that's not Oklahoma City, or if it's not a place the Thunder is willing to make a trade with, um, then he's just going to stay in Europe. But if Mitch is like, I'm ready to go to the NBA, I know this team has interest in me, I want to go to that team, then all of a sudden the Thunder has all the interest uh, in making that happen. Yeah, the NBA is like a giant spider web with all these teams connected and agents talk, but I do wonder if the Thunder... Because I've seen, I feel like teams have done this in the past, but they've allowed their players to get talk to other teams. Is that something they could do, possibly? I, I don't even know. Um, just one more thing on this. So he's had a longtime agent who's still his agent in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as of this year, Jason Rainey, um, who used to work for the Thunder uh, from 2013 to 15, he was director of strategic planning. Is now an agent with Wasserman, and Mitchich has him handling his NBA affairs. So um, there is some familiarity there between his representation and the Thunder. So that has led to other speculation, but it could also just be nice to have to uh, to help facilitate facilitate a trade. I think I think word would get around, you know to know which teams are really interested in acquiring his rights. And, you know, again, they're going to have some assurance that he would then make the leap. Yeah, but the week going into the draft is pretty nice time. I did look up, uh, yeah, Pablo Prigioni. Do you know how old he was his rookie year? 34. 35. Wow. Ar Arvidas Sabonis was, let's see here, 31 in his first uh, year in the NBA. 30, yeah, so the, I mean that that would be the closest. I mm -hmm. mean, Mitchich, he'll be twenty nine, but close to close to thirty. We just we just don't see it much anymore. So um, that's why he's kind. Of, it, it's kind of an interesting test case, and in he's waited this long, and it kind of makes like the allure around him even more like maximized. Like, sure, maybe he's be a great player in the NBA. Chances are, I think he'd just be another guy. Yeah, and does he want to come over to the NBA, new country, rather than being the guy in the Turkish League, being the MVP and the number one guy on a team over there? But exactly, it, it's going to be very interesting for him. And I'm with you. Normally, like the Mitchich merry-go-round that goes out every summer, it's just like, I'm not even going to pay attention. But then once we started hearing that he was in Oklahoma City and then you reported it, I was like, oh, this might be real. And then, like I mentioned before, the timing is definitely um, important with the draft coming up if something were to happen. But I don't think that he's flying to Oklahoma City just to 
check out Devin Power or anything like that? No, I, I don't think he is. I don't think he has reservations at Vast. Although if he does, it's it'll probably be with a Thunder employee. I'm sure they took him out to dinner somewhere. Um, probably out of the public view. Not that anyone would probably recognize Michich, but they would probably recognize Sam Presti. So, yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I would just say uh, the smoke that's been around Michich before has... I, I don't think it's ever been real, but... Yeah. This time it's real enough to where I'm comfortable reporting on it and think there's some traction, especially with the draft on Thursday. Um, I'm not saying that there is going to be a move, um, but I, I I certainly would not be surprised if he is traded uh, between now and the draft. And then a source from TalkBasket.net, uh, which is like a Euro ball thing. Uh, somebody said the camp of Mitchish tells me that he's eager to find a team where he can secure regular playing time in the NBA as the Thunder hold his rights. They may be the team to offer him this opportunity. We'll transition to that. If hypothetically, and this feels like very small chance, he did join the Thunder and were on their team, how do you think he would fit just from what you've seen of him or heard about him? I think he'd I think he'd be the backup point guard. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he would start. Um, I don't know if he would be interested in in that sort of role. The the Thunder's just a weird fit for him, given their timeline. I mean bunch of young guys fighting for minutes and then you bring in a more established 29 year old guard who's like used to being the star of his league and now he's like coming off the bench and it's like what are these like 20 year olds doing out here so um i think the fit is a little clunky but um i i'm pretty confident that he would certainly be in the rotation and maybe he'd be the the sixth man um obviously would play with the starter some but um I can't imagine he's leaping Shea, Giddy, J-Dub, or, or Dor in that starting lineup. Yeah, and it's just, uh, I was looking at this. It is funny with him. Um, he's 29, Kenrich is 28. He would instantly be the oldest player on the team. Yeah. In and his like, rookie year. <laughs> who knows if he would even want something like that. I think uh, there are a couple teams I've heard that are interested, and I'm sure there's more than a couple, but I would look at teams with instant opportunities available, not even teams necessarily that are on the cusp of competing, but teams to where he could just have the ball in his hands a lot and and be one of the main options. I think those are the situations he would be most interested in. Yeah, I had a few teams down here that we can just go through and if any stick out to you, but I was just looking for teams that need guard help. Um, The Celtics, I think he would be somebody who could really help them. I'm not sure how many uh, minutes he'd be guaranteed. Like you mentioned, the Bucks are always looking for more guard help. The 76ers are always looking. The Raptors are a team on the up and up as uh, Fred Van Vliet looks like he opted out. Uh, the Bulls, I think, were a team connected to him like a few years ago, maybe. And then obviously the the Nuggets, he's friends with Jokic. The Nuggets don't really need any extra help. But if they wanted to please their superstar, that's something he wanted, maybe. Um, the Suns, just because it looks like they're hiring anybody off the street to fill out their rotation. The mm-hmm. Lakers like older players. Maybe they'd rather have somebody more established, even if it's in another league, than a younger guy at like 17 or wherever their pick is. The Warriors are always looking for extra ball handlers on the cheap. And then the Clippers have been one of those teams, but it feels like they've been more in talks if there's a Chris Paul buyout or maybe turn that Beal deal into a three-team deal. And then the last one that I've heard a lot more about is... um the Mavs, which would be um, Davis Berton's contract and 10 for Mitchich. Maybe the Thunder adds some extra assets in there, but I like that one at the very minimum. 
Well, if that was on the table, I would certainly do that in a heartbeat. Um, I don't know if it is or not. Without mentioning every single team in the NBA, which, hey, to some extent, if you get right down to the word interest, there there might be interest from 29 other teams for all for all I know. But um, the teams you listed are more or less competitors. I wouldn't necessarily rule out a what we would consider a rebuilding team either. Like a jazz. I mean, they have they have no guards, really. Right. That's something something along those lines. But if the Thunder did trade for Bertans, I do like it just because um, for the Mavs, they get another uh, playmaker that they can put next to Luka, get another European guy in there. I think that they need some extra guard depth. You don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie. And then for the Thunder, they get another swing at 10 and they get Bertans, who can play some of those Muscala minutes just as a stretch big. But more importantly, he only has five. He has 17 million dollars going into next year. And then the year after, he only has five guaranteed and um, for it to become fully guaranteed at 16 million, he would have to play 75% of the games, which looks like an interesting expiring for another team down the line if you wanted to move that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the you, you can easily see the logic behind something like that. Well, it is draft time. I wanted to get your, your final grades on some of these guys. Who are your top five Thunder guys in the draft? You know, obviously, somebody like Victor Wembanyama, you go, that's a Thunder guy, but he's not going to be around. So somewhat realistic yeah what 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 is the what is the cutoff here just so i can be as generous as you just want so i i put a couple guys uh, wishful thinking i had jairus walker (laughs) okay so wishful thinking if they can trade up i think jairus walker would be the number one guy i would try to target for the thunder the positional uh fit is very obvious but even more than that i just think he fits culturally and as a guy who can defend multiple positions size for position process uh pretty quickly handle the ball the biggest question with him is the shot but i trust that more than some of the other guys working out with some of their deficiencies because with him it's not like well you have to fix this 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 and this mm-hmm. he's a little bit passive um whenever he could go to the basket and then his shot needs some work but other than that like he's built like a tank he could he looks like uh dort on a mario mushroom or something like that the, yeah he's like a like a stretched out version of Dort. I'm going to copy you then. If, if Jairus Walker is available for this exercise, he is number one on my list. Now, in some mocks, and some people that seem to be in the know, he could even go as high as number five. So yeah. it would um, require quite the haul to acquire Jairus Walker. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat here and go with two wishful thinking guys. I'm going to say Taylor Hendricks. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Walker just ahead of Hendricks, but man, I, ju- I just love Hendricks' versatility defensively and um, just a really good shot blocker. I-, I mean, really switchy defender. I think he would be a natural power forward option next to Chet at center. And then offensively, yes, I know he lacks the playmaking chops, but can really knock down an open three-pointer. And in this Thunder offense, when the guards are are driving as much as they are, um, you know, having a spacer like that at the four spot um, would be mutually beneficial. So um, he'll be on my, he's number two on my list. And then uh, I'm going to, I'm going to cite an article that I I wrote today, story at Oklahoma.com. Basically um, to, to, to quickly go through this. So I looked at, three mock drafts that listen i don't trust any mock draft yeah. but i do trust the people that that uh 
I, I do trust these evaluators. So I looked at ESPN, the ringer and the athletic and they have all three of those sites have the same nine players in their top 10. So there's like one, maybe that they disagree on, but they have the same nine. So I basically did an exercise of, okay, those nine guys are off the board. If the thunder stays at 12, here's who I think the pick's going to be. So I've already mentioned Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks is my dream scenario. The Andrew Select has, has gotten in my head because number one on my list is Kobe Bufkin. Um, I think Kobe Bufkin is a very realistic possibility at number 12 for the Thunder. Um, I've talked about him a lot. He, he can do a lot of everything, a little of everything, maybe a lot of everything, but there's not like one showcase skill. Um, but he's got decent size. He's He's got playmaking ability. He can shoot. Um, scouts who know a lot better than me think he can hold up defensively. Um, he's still super young, even though he's a sophomore. Um, but he made a significant leap from his freshman season at Michigan to a sophomore season at Michigan. And I really like when I sort of see that like, um, quick progression, it's like something just clicked with them. Um, so Buffkin is the next guy I will mention. He reminds me of a Gen Z, um, who was uh george hill hmm hmm not exactly like awe-inspiring but okay but a guy who's gonna play for like 10 he's gonna play for a very long time he's not gonna be the star but he definitely contributed to winning i think people because they didn't ever make a finals really forget about how good some of those indiana teams were with him and paul george and roy hibbert and lance stevenson and danny granger and those guys and david west but they were one of the few teams they were the only team really in the east for a very long time to challenge those heat teams and george hill was a big part of it yeah and like you know a pretty good defender in his prime as, as well listen george hill he is 37 now he played in 915 career games made 484 starts Average 27 minutes per game. Steady as they go. A great locker room guy. I know in his very brief stint in Oklahoma City, they really liked having him around. You know what? If you can get a George Hill type at 12, I think you'll you'll take that. It's not the highest end outcome, but it sure beats a bust. It's not even close. It's closer to the high end outcome than it is the low end outcome. So um, I like that. Yeah, it's like looking at cars and you have the one with like really good mileage, but it's just like it's a car. It's nothing like super exciting, but it's never going to break down. So that's very nice. But with Jairus Walker, uh, going back to that, I agree with you. I don't see a world where he falls past Indiana at seven. I feel like that's probably the floor for him. I'd be shocked if they didn't take him if he was on the board. But another guy who I wish for possible that you mentioned was Taylor Hendricks. I love Taylor Hendricks. I like the shot. Uh, you mentioned the stuff about like his playmaking. That doesn't really deter me as m- much. I know the Thunder are a team all about playmaking and handling the ball and making decisions. But we've already seen this with certain guys like Dort and others where the Thunder can kind of minimize the amount of decisions they have to make. And it's not like he's a guy who's uh, incapable of making one. Like Baisley would catch the ball and it would just stop. I don't see mm-hmm. that from Hendricks. But yeah, he's not going to make the high level pick and roll reads he's not going to be a ball handler coming off a lot of actions but he can make the extra pass and do enough and like you mentioned the uh, positional need he can play the four next to chat or 
uh, play some small ball five. And then I just really like the idea, like we've talked about before, of always having at least one or two of Giddy, Shea, and J-Dub on the floor at all time. If you can have a stretch big who can block shots um, and make shots from the perimeter, I think that is a nice wrinkle to have. And it doesn't take you completely out of also playing um, Kenrich at the five, which was very big last year. So if Jarris and Taylor Hendricks are both on the board, you trade up, who do you take? Jarris Walker. I think there's more okay. upside with him. I think Taylor is um, safer, but it's kind of like Miles Turner-esque, where it's like a big who can block shots and shoot threes, but I don't see a lot of in-between game for him. Jarris, I feel like there's just a little bit more of a growth plate for him because he has more um, skills as an offensive player who can create for himself. And then he's just more switchable. Hendricks has more length, but the way that Jarris moves around the floor on defense, like I've seen the BAM comps and that's always one of the comps that I don't really like, but I can see flashes of it. And he's a guy who can operate um, and pass the ball. Like we mentioned that Taylor can't really do. You can operate your offense out of Jarris at the elbow and be pretty productive. So I would take Jarris over Taylor um, slightly, but those are my top two if the Thunder were to trade up. Okay, well, I'm going to keep. Uh, I'm going to keep playing this game because who knows who could be on the board if they trade up? Would you take Jarris or Anthony Black? Um, it just depends on who you're. I mean, Jarris is the much cleaner fit, but yeah, like we talked about last time, I can see the Anthony Black. And I have him sort of in the same um, vein as Case and Wallace. Anthony Black's a much higher level prospect, but as a guy who can come in and defend right away, uh, make decisions, play make, the shooting you're worried about, but everything else, I feel really good about both those guys. And it's yeah. one of those things where I, I always feel like I'm the guy who gets pigeonholed as the replaced Dort guy, and I don't want to do that. But with Anthony Black, if you do end up moving Dort in a deal, you can slide him right in there. And he's not going to be the defensive player that Dort is. But like you and I have talked about, like the balancing act of like if he can be 75% of him on defense, but 40% better on offense, is that a worthy trade? So I, I'd i still take Jarris, but Anthony Black is very tempting. Can I throw two more at you quickly? Who would you pick before you throw that out me out at me? I, w- I would pick, I'd go Jarris. Uh, if we include Hendricks, I'd probably, I don't have like a big yeah. board per se, but I'd probably go Jarris, Black, Hendricks. Two, t- just because we never talk about these guys, but could be available in a trade-up scenario. Would you pick Jarris Walker? Because he remains your favorite and mine. Or Asar Thompson? I take Jarris. I think Asar versus um, Anthony Black is probably the more interesting one out of those yeah, guys. I'd go Anthony Black. Yeah. I just feel more comfortable. I would feel more comfortable going in that direction. Like the Thompson twins are awesome, seem like great guys. I'm just, I'm just scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I, I would be scared if I was the team taking them just because there's so many questions. Yeah. The overtime elite league stuff scares me. And I've heard that they're great kids and they work really hard. I think that Asar has a better chance of shooting it than Amen, but Anthony Black, we saw him do it in D1 college basketball, which, you know, doesn't mean everything, but I think that it's just a um, easier sample size and it's something that people are more comfortable evaluating and looking and understanding what he's playing against rather than the 
overtime elite where they're like playing TikToks on the big screen during the game and have like power plays and the lights flash on and off and whatever they do. Yeah, that's a little much. Um, I'm sorry I derailed our conversation. You're good. Uh, I have. So we're, we're you asked me about five guys, didn't you? Yes. Um, I think you went through guys. your first three because we had Jarris Taylor and then you and went I to Kobe Bufkin. Bufkin. I had yes. instead of Bufkin, I had Case and Wallace, which I I will continue to try to sell try, you. I don't try to replace Blue Dort. That's not completely it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine of like Dame or whoever, and somebody checks out, and you're like, oh, finally Dort, I get a break, and it's just another guy. It's like Dort, very Jr. similar. Yeah, it's like don't ever talk to me or my son ever again. Come <laughs> out here. He's now it's his turn. And just, I like the idea of having one of those guys out there. And it's the same trade off that I mentioned of is the defense is good? Probably not. But can the offensive stuff be better? And I just like that Kaysen, from what I've seen, has a very nice reality check of knowing who he is on a basketball team and not trying to do too much, especially on a flawed Kentucky team where he could have gone, you know, screw it. I'm not getting enough help. I'm going to shoot everything. He didn't do that. He kept operating and tried to be a team player. Uh, but I don't know. I like Kaysen. I don't have the the volume of time to convince you like Schlecht has for the last like year on Kobe Bufkin or six months, but I, I do like Kaysen Wallace. I like him a little bit more. I do like him more than uh, Bufkin. Interesting. Um, I mean, I can definitely see it. L- listen, like we we might be wrong about both of those guys for all we know, but um, y- you can see it with both. For my fourth guy, I will go with Grady Dick. Um, just think you, you don't have to squint to, to see the fit, uh, on, on this team, um, wrote that he'd almost be an unfair compliment in the drive and kick game of SGA and Josh Giddy. I mean, just the way he could stretch the defense and what, what are you going to do? Like just close out as hard as you can on Grady Dick too, when you, you've got those other ball handlers on the floor. So six, six, good size. Awesome shooter, 40% from three-point range at Kansas. Uh, did it on almost six attempts per game. Um, a guy who like can can do that next-level skill of, of relocating and, and hunting a shot. He's a really good pull-up shooter. Um, shot an insane percentage on transition threes. The Thunder likes to play fast, so he could fit in there. Um, seems like, you know, if he's just that, then he's going to be a good player not to make the white guy to white guy comp, but I'm going to do it. He might be like Corey Kispert who went in a similar range and no one really pays attention to him because he's a wizard. Um, but he's been a 40% three point shooter in his career. And that's kind of what he is. So, uh, not a home run, but not a bust. Um, you just hope with Dick that there's a little more playmaking ability there and you hope he holds up defensively. That reminds me of a conversation I had with Derek on the pod where I said, uh, which one do you think he reminds you of the most with Grady Dick? And then as I was reading off the names, I was like, these are all white guys. It was like Duncan Robinson, uh, Corey Kispert, uh, (laughs) Doug McDermott, uh, Kevin Herter. And I'm like, oh, I I see. I see the pattern here. Uh, Luke Kennard. (laughs) But yeah, with Grady, it really just comes down to I think he has to be an elite shooter to make it work because even if he's shooting like, let's say he's a much better defensive prospect than we think, and he's a much better ball handler than we think, but he only shoots 36% from three. I don't think that's going to work. I feel like for him, 
a lot of it just is going to come down to he has to hit shots if he's going to stick. Yeah, and again, to to go on with the Kispert comparison, I mean, both guys 6'7", obviously some athletic limitations. Uh, Kispert didn't shoot the ball all that great as a rookie, 35%. But last year with the Wizards, um, played 28 minutes per game, shot 42% from three on 5.2 attempts per game, um, almost 50% from the field, 11.1 points per game, 2.8 rebounds, 1.2 assists. Um, would you would you take that? Like, you know, what, would that be a good outcome? Year two, Grady Dick. Maybe I'm just like, I'm overthinking it, but it just feels like a the safer version. But even then, with it being safe, I don't see like a very, very high output come unless he just shoots it just incredibly well but with him i I worry about things like you know josh is a solid defender but he's going to be somebody who gets attacked later as the thunder keep getting better and And i you worry about both of those guys being on the floor together yeah that because i mean that's a big part of why the heat made the finals is no offense to tyler hero but once he got injured they could play duncan robinson plus other shooters at the same time without guys just getting hunted off the floor and with grady that's what i would be concerned about because Isaiah is small, but he competes. And some of this with Dick is just unfair, but I need to like see him do it. So I think yeah. that would be one where I'm like, yeah, this is nice, but it wouldn't necessarily be my favorite pick for him. I, I can see the easy fit, but there are definitely concerns on my end for him. If um if Thursday comes and goes and Grady Dick is a member of the Thunder. I will be very surprised just because it would go against sort of what they have done in the past that they are all about versatility upside um, guys with playmaking ability who can guard multiple positions on the other end. And they have not targeted specialists per se. And like, we, we've mentioned the limitations you could have with like him and Giddy on the floor together. The Thunder is not looking at the 12th pick trying to find like, let's, let's go get a really good shooter that can come off the bench. That is not how they're looking yeah. at, at this pick. Now, I don't think they're going to draft anyone that's going to come in and start, but I think they want someone who, who, Hey, even if it's the 10% outcome, maybe there's a superstar in here. Maybe it's like, you know, Jalen Williams might end up being that that outcome. But unless Grady Dick just like unlocks a whole different game, like he does not even have that 10% outcome of becoming a star player um, or a franchise type guy. So um, Usman Jang does. Will he get there? Probably not. If he does, it'll be a long way away. But you can at least like see it with him. Like, oh my gosh, if this guy reaches everything he could be, Watch out. And uh, you just can't say that uh, about Grady Dick. So I think it would be a shift in philosophy if the Thunder is to draft him, even though I personally think it would be a good pick. But I I certainly see the argument against it. I I can see both sides. In the simplest way, with Us, if he works out, there's no way you can trade for that type of player if you're Oklahoma City, if he's on another team. If Grady works out, you can definitely get that guy because... Just think about who's been available over the last couple of years. Gary Trent Jr., Buddy Heald, Malik Monk, uh, Malik Beasley, Luke Kennard. Like there are shooters out there that you can find. Seth Curry. Seth Curry. 
Um, other guys, I mean, Duncan Robinson was on the trade block forever. Uh, there are shooters out there. Tim Hardaway Jr. They've been trying to get rid of him for a while. So there are more proven commodities that you could get. Maybe you have to pay a little bit more. But at the same time, if you pick Grady here, it's going to be on a lower contract, but you don't get those swings. And one of the swings I would look at, and this is uh, my category of reaching maybe for my final two, Leonard Miller. I just really like Leonard Miller. I like how awkward his and offbeat his game is. And then just the idea of him as a guy with a late growth spurt. I think there's still a lot of time for his game to develop. And I think that he would be a very interesting guy in the Thunder as another one of those point forwards who can play maybe some of the small ball at some point. I'm right there with you. Leonard Miller was the next guy on my list. Um, Feels like a Thunder pick. I mean, 6'9", 213, guard skills and a forward's body because of that late growth spurt. He's Canadian. The Thunder loves Canadians. Still growing into his body, still figuring it out. Um, He shot 54% for the Ignite. 30% 30% from three, but also 79% from the foul line. So that's that's pretty good. That gives you hope. Um, and it's still so young. So uh, also just from what I've read, like super high work ethic, wants to be really good and, and just kind of feels like a Thunder guy from kind of a makeup standpoint and also like a physical tool standpoint. Well, and Sam Vecini talked about it, I think, on the Slam and Jam with our friend Andrew Schlecht about it, about with um Leonard that he just got better and better throughout the course of the season. They asked him to work on things and he worked on them and got better. And there was all this hype the last couple of years about Scoot and obviously he's a much higher higher level prospect. He averaged like 30 as a 17-year-old in G League against grown men. But we don't hear all that much about Leonard as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old averaging 17 and 11 to end the year and I get some of that to end the year in the NBA just like the G League seasons not super serious at the end of the year with a lot of guys coming in and out of the G League going up to the NBA to get some spots but still for him to be growing into a new body changing his game from being a guard to a big playing against grown men and then averaging like 17 and 10 on good shooting splits I was really impressed by I also like the name Leonard yeah you know you don't you don't see too many young Leonards roaming the earth these days um do you think he's a Leonard or a Linny? Well, that's a good question. Or is it like I, the office? A, it's uh, like the Nard dog. Maybe they call him maybe Leo. Mm. How about that? I don't think there's been a, a Leonard in the NBA. Not counting Kawhi Leonard and Myers Leonard, because those are last names. Um, looks like the last Leonard first name was... Leonard Gray in 1975-77. Surely there's someone sooner than that. But um yeah, these are these are the things I uh I look up when I let my mind wander. But uh I'm with you. You've uh you've sort of convinced me on Leonard Miller and in, in that story I wrote today, like five guys that I think are the most like my best guesses at who they would pick. He he's one of the five. And then the other guy is a reach, maybe. And this one, I don't think you're on board as much with because you called him the French Ferguson. Bilal Koulibaly, which I heard uh, somebody on the radio say his name as uh, Billy Cool BB, which made me laugh out loud as I was driving. That's that's what we'll call him in Oklahoma. Billy. You just as long as you say it with confidence, it's like Charles Barkley saying Giannis's name. It's just like, get it out. Confident. Keep going. But we'll just call him Bill. 
Yeah, with uh, Bilal, I like his upside too. And he's in the same category as Leonard Miller, where if the Thunder could somehow, let's say that Mitch's trade does work out and they can get to 10, I would rather, unless you can get to seven and get Jarris, I would rather just stay at 10 and 12 and get two swings like they did last year. And you can take your Case and Wallace or your Kobe Bufkin as more of your like J-Dub mold as the guy who's maybe a little bit more ready to go. And then you can take Leonard Miller or uh, Bilal as your oos as the guy who's a little bit more of a long-term project, but you aren't choosing one way or another and you kind of double your chances. Hopefully that one of them works out. I am not a big Bilal Koulibaly guy. Sure. He's a pleasant person. This is, this is nothing personal. It's just uh, the, uh, the little I've watched from him and listen, this is, we, we did the, the pod last week about, yeah. Um, guys you would just like have to trust the organization on and this is how i feel about Bilal Koulibaly um not because they're both french but this is also how i felt about Usman Jang last year and who knows whether or not Jang pans out but not i was not high on him but i was like they are a heck of a lot smarter than i am they've watched 250% more film on him they've interviewed him in person they've they probably know their families and friends and middle school teachers. So um, the amount of research I've done pales in comparison to the amount of research they've done. So if they pick Kulabali, I will approach it with objectivity and say, okay, here's why they picked him. Uh, I just don't really see it now other than he's got insane measurables. He's very young and very raw. And you can see the potential. Um, I don't yet see the playmaking ability that, that the Thunder has prioritized. Um, but yeah, that 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 would that's my main case, really. You know, against him is that he's right now maybe a three and D player, and if the three doesn't really come around, that's when I brought up the the Terrence Ferguson yeah comp. Now his uh. His makeup is is surely better than that of Terrence Ferguson's. But um, on my list today, this is a separate list where we're doing two lists right now. Uh, he was he was on my list as uh, one of the five guys I think is is the most likely pick at twelve. So I would not at all be surprised. I would just have to have to throw my hands in the air and be like, yeah, sure, why not? I would call it nervous excitement if they took him at twelve. I'd feel a lot more confident. And I like that scenario I mentioned earlier, if they could go 10 and 12 and take him as the other swing. But yeah, um, it would also be very fun and very uh, Knicks-ish if they traded into the top 10 to take Koulibaly and just go, we're, we're playing the long game. We know he like he and Victor are close 10 years from now. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, that would be that. That's the chess, not checkers. The ultimate kind of long play. Yeah, we, we're taking this guy because we think his son will be really good. And it's like he's 18. I don't I don't know. But, um, you know, uh, of these guys, it is going to be very interesting because the Thunder and I wanted to expand on this at some point later is people always talk with the draft. Don't draft for fit. Don't draft for fit. And I agree mm-hmm. with that. But the Thunder at the same time, if you really think about it, do draft for fit. It's just more about personality and character fits than, you know, we need shooting to fit into this team, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like a it is a personality fit. It's also a player type fit. It's not a positional fit. Like yeah. 
just forget those. I mean, they hardly exist. Um, really a name only and then kind of old school basketball mind. So it, it's not a fit per se where you're like, oh, they really need a backup point guard or they really need um, a power forward. And I know I've like mentioned, you know, positions, but that that to me is like, oh, maybe it's an added bonus that they could like slide into the spot. Um, but yeah, they they are not. I don't think they're breaking these guys down by position and, and uh, going you know, need. This is not the NFL draft where yeah. it's like, oh gosh, we got to protect our quarterback. Let's go get a tackle. You know, that's that's not how this works. Like, for instance, if you're looking at your top 10 board and maybe you're the Thunder and you're thinking we do need a power forward and the guys who are on your board are uh, your number one power forward, but he's number eight on your board versus the number four guard who's number six on your board. I think it's still you want to go with the guard. You want to have the guy you have higher overall rather than just drafting because it's like, well, it's just there's an obvious hole here. Let's just fill this with whatever. This makes most sense. And I think the Thunder aren't going to be, as we know, um, undisciplined or a short uh, short term viewing on this. But are there any guys we mentioned with uh, Bilal that you have some concerns and I do, too, of guys that you would be not be mad, but you'd kind of be disappointed or kind of uh, questioning if the Thunder took them? I mean, obviously, they have all the uh, the tape and they have a lot more. Um, stats and information than we do, but there are certain guys I definitely would be looking a little bit sideways. I'd, I'd hope I would be wrong, but guys who they could pick at 12. Yeah, there, there's no one I would be like upset or whatever. Like, I mean, that's a, uh, that's a uh, Drew Timmy that's at 12. What my, that, that is not <laughs> what my job is. Now, there are some guys that would make me raise my eyebrows and think, huh, again, kind of like the, like I couldn't even see Kulabali more than some of the names I'm about to mention. Uh, I think you know this about me. I am not a Derek Lively, the second fan. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's if he's available for cheap in the second round, sure, but it, that's not going to be the case. Uh, I'm pretty out on him at twelve. I just don't think they're going to draft a traditional center. I am not at all a Keontae George guy, uh, the guard from Baylor. Um. You know, Hood Scafino is interesting. We just don't talk about him a lot. Uh, Nick Smith Jr., I'm I'm out on. Uh, let's see. I'm scrolling. That's about it. In between in and out, I had Jordan Hawkins. This is another guy like Grady who it's like it's either going to be a shot or it's not going to work. But that'd I, be fun, though. Jordan Hawkins would be fun. It would be just him flying around. But I'm with you on Derek Lively. Can we at least see what Chet looks like as a starting center for most of the season before we start trying to get another guy to pair up with them as a big. Yeah. And I just, I think, I think you're going to be able to find the Derek Lively's of the world. I really do. Yeah. And if he works out and he is Tyson Chandler with a three ball, I will admit I was wrong. And that's something I'm willing to be burned on, but he does. He just feels like all those Texas bigs of the last few years, uh, like the, the Mo Bombas, the Kai Jones, the, um, Jackson Hayes of the world. He just feels like one of those Jericho guys. Sims. Jericho Sims. But There's he just, so many Texas bigs. Jared Allen. Jared Allen, uh, Tristan Thompson, Mo Bamba. He just feels like yeah. one of those guys, but I think he, he's getting a little bit of a Duke bump and he's been shooting better in these workouts, but a lot of guys can shoot really well in workouts. As we know, we've been to these thunder practices and watching guys who don't shoot well from three in games. And you're like, did he just make 25 in a row? So yeah, like, I mean, Jay will who yeah. proves that you know he's a decent shooter but there was one practice in which 
he won the three point competition that they do after practice against like Isaiah Joe and Trey Mann and whoever else. And it's like, this guy is not the best shooter on the team. But I mean, it, I, I'm just saying it because what, watch Josh Giddy warm up. He's going to make just about every one of his threes. It, it, it's just these guys are that good in that type of setting. So it, it's very different from just having a ball off the rack and the guys rebounding it for you perfectly and throwing it to you in the corner versus playing 10 minutes straight and then like going down and just like LeBron backs you down and turns you into mush. And then you come back and you have to shoot a three after sprinting the whole way. Very different, but let's yeah. get into some draft night decisions and predictions. What would surprise you the most on draft night that the Thunder could do within reason? It's not going to be something crazy where it's like the Thunder have um, fired Rumble and have a new mascot, but just within reason. I'd be pretty down for that. No offense to the person inside Rumble. I've just never been a big Rumble guy. Um, hot take there. Um, back to the draft. S- biggest surprise within reason. I would be I would be surprised if they traded down. I mean, that's like something I've seen out there a little bit. I, I just um I don't see that happening. I, I mean, I guess I would be as surprised if they traded down as I would be if they traded as high as like four. Like both of those things would be equally surprising to me. I think the most likely scenario, because trades are difficult to agree to, is that they draft at twelve. I think the second most likely scenario is that they move into that eight, nine, ten range. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd be pretty surprised if they traded out of the top 12 and went down or just out of the first round. Because as we've talked about with tiers, it feels like there's like a firm top four ish five guys. And then it's like from five to 13. And then there's another drop off. And I just don't see the value really there unless you're getting some like super unprotected pick from a team who's not very good like if washington said somehow like um we'll give you our unprotected first next year just for 12 then obviously you do something like that but i don't nothing like that will probably come up um do you have any bold predictions for the thunder on draft night just just a i feel. do have a bold prediction i have a bold prediction and Please, everyone. Bold predictions are things that we don't really believe are going to happen. But within the realm of possibility that you kind of think could happen, and if you get it, then by golly, you're going to look like a genius. And my bold prediction is that with the 12th pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the Thunder selects Derek Whitehead from Duke. That, Michael... <laughs> Is my bold prediction that that is bold. That's um, <laughs> that reminds me of like whenever they did the ultimate NBA fantasy draft and Charles Barkley took Allen Iverson with the number one pick. <laughs> but I like uh, Derek a lot. I think that he's a guy if you were to not trade down, but maybe trade a future pick to get back into the, the late teens, to early 20s. He's a guy I definitely look at. I think there's a lot of upside with him as a five star guy who was injured for most of the year who can definitely shoot. I would not be too upset about that. It would um, it would shock me, that's for sure. But my bold predictions would either be to trade up in the top seven for Jarris because we're hearing more and more. I don't know what you've seen about all these teams that look like they are they'd rather trade out and get future assets. I mean, the Pistons, yeah. uh, they could fit a lot of these guys, but there's not just like an easy fit or a guy who just like, 
oh, this makes total sense to bring for in for them. And they don't have a lot of future assets. They're not like the Thunder or the Rockets or the Pelicans or the Spurs of the world who have all these draft assets just stacked yeah. up. Or like, you know, our, our good friends uh, in Washington. Could yeah. Be in the same boat like they they're starting over from scratch. If they're not in love with the guy at eight, maybe they collect two extra future first and, you know, something like that, like kind of a using Sam Presti's playbook against him. So I'm sure that he has all the secrets in the back of the book. I would that would be like you said, I would have it glued to the phone. Do not call this number. If this number calls, you hang up. Can I make my Derek Whitehead case? I'd love to hear it. (laughs) I just sort of let that bold prediction hang there without any reasoning behind it. My reasoning is he was a consensus top three guy in his high school class. He has pretty good measurables, 6'7", is a very good three-point shooter. Um, That was sort of his role at Duke, but there's a lot more to his game. than that, that either he didn't show off because A, he really isn't that guy, B, because college basketball is is hard and there's, you know, coaches kind of control the game more than more than players do, and you're not always put in your ideal position. Um, and three injuries, like that's the biggest red flag against him. Um his his repeated uh injury. So um my my case for him at number 12 is that medical report comes back as clean as you could reasonably hope, and you are banking on that prospect pedigree uh, that he's more than just the guy he showed in a very small sample at Duke. Like He's one of those guys, if Dariq Whitehead never played one second of college basketball, I'm pretty confident he would be taken higher than wherever he's going to be taken, unless it's 12. Um on Thursday, just because like, you know, at that point, like there's a lot more hype around you. It's like the unknown. What could this guy be? Um, Shaden Sharp last year. Yeah, Shaden Sharp. Exactly. And a guy that hurt his stock, Jaden Hardy, like Jaden Hardy had so much buzz, didn't really play well in the G League, dropped in the draft. Looks like he might be a pretty good pick. So sometimes um, your best bet is like not showing any of your cards. So um, that's my uh, that's my Derek Whitehead. Case. Do I really think that Thunder is going to draft him? No. But gosh, if they do, you better cut that clip, Michael. You're you're telling everyone. Sam, when you were listening to our everyone. pod. Yeah. Sam, when I'm you were gloating. listening to our pod, were you inspired by my case to take yeah. <laughs> Dariq? But yeah, I, I like him too. The pedigree you talked about. Because the Thunder have done this before. Ferguson, you know, bad omen and Baisley, but they were both former five stars, I'm pretty sure, who were like very yeah. top recruits who had the pedigree who the Thunder came back around on. And he's a guy who produced more at the amateur level than either of those did. I mean, um, Baze was out in New Balance getting coffee for people and doing internship stuff while uh, Ferg was um, in Australia and New Zealand playing. But Derek, much higher level prospect. And we've seen teams take chances on these guys like Michael Porter Jr. was just in the finals. Um, AJ Griffin last year or so. I think it's um, a worthy chance. I would I'll, actually I'll rather have him than Grady. Whoa. Now that's as bold as what I just said, taking him at 12. Um, uh, another, like, just, uh, I, I got sidetracked, but Perry Jones was another yeah. big-time prospect, and you take a 
chance on him, and that one never worked out. So Cole Aldridge. That, yeah, there's there's always that risk, and and obviously Perry Jones had some chronic health issues as well. So, um, but Whitehead over over Dick is a uh, that's something. I feel. Let me tell you, Michael, if you were the GM of an NBA team, you would not be selecting Grady Dick if you were. Uh, well, if you were in the lottery, I guess, because you like a lot of guys over him. My dad one time told me, he goes, you just have to be smart enough to get the GM job one time. He goes, paid, everything's paid for life after that. You just have to do it once. I want to be like the, the coach for the Pacers who was hired out of the G League for one season. Makes generational money gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, a, that's, that's pretty good. There, there's some jobs that you only need to have at once. Yep, just completely under. I want to be like um, Joe, um, Joe Missoula, where it's like he he lied on his resume or something like that. He didn't actually, but it's just like you get to the job and it's like I am not qualified for this. I coached like middle school and now I'm here in the NBA finals and stuff. But on to the stuff. Yeah, Grady. I just think that um, higher floor, lower ceiling than Derek. I think that he's going to be a better defender. He has more of the playmaking stuff, and he. It's not like he's not a good shooter, and. Um, the injury stuff, hopefully it comes back clean. I think he just had another foot surgery, so I don't even know if he'd be he ready did. for the fall. He did. Yes, there's been multiple surgeries uh, on that foot. So yeah, that that's that's definitely discouraging. I'd like to pull back a little bit and just go, I would not be um, super mad if they took <laughs> Dariq over Grady, but yeah, it's. I think those guys are pretty close just in terms of like overall upside because... Like I mentioned with Grady, it's like he's either going to shoot at an elite level or he's not. That's going to be kind of it. I don't yeah. think that he's going to develop something where like four years down the line. You're like, do you know who has a great post game? Grady Dick. He's just like, <laughs> look at him operating out of the elbows and the <laughs> on the box. No, it's going to be him as a, an elite three point sniper or nothing else. But who do you think is the biggest faller and the biggest riser in this draft as we get here to wrap things up? Hopefully soon. Um. I think, and and this this very well might be my personal bias. I I think Derek Lively is going to be a faller. Um, if we want to go for like a guy that won't fall out of the top, won't fall out of the lottery, but like could fall out of even the top ten. Like I think there's a chance that Asar Thompson yeah. falls a little bit. I, I think like teams might be a little scared. Off. And I don't think he's going to be there for the Thunder at 12. But if he goes at like 9 or 10 instead of 5 or 6, uh, I don't think that would be all that surprising. Yeah, I had um, Cam Whitmore. It just feels like he would go to either the Pistons or the Rockets. And if it's not there, it feels like there's a lot of room for him to fall because Orlando definitely doesn't need a ball stopper who's um, going to take a bunch of shots, doesn't really guard anyone. Uh, the Pacers already kind of have that in Ben Matherin. Washington, it just feels like they are an Anthony Black or a Kobe Bufkin team to me as they just want to get somebody to run the show, hopefully, for their next um, iteration. We also don't want to stunt um, Johnny Davis's growth, obviously. He's turnaround year for Johnny Davis. That's what we're anticipating. But as far as risers, um, I, I feel like Bufkin's going to be somebody who rises. I've seen him mocked at 12 a lot, but I feel like he might be somebody who surprises and goes up to uh, maybe an eight or a nine with the Jazz or the Wizards. 
Yeah, I think a guy we mentioned who could be a riser and he could rise all the way to 12 is Leonard Miller. Yeah. Um, that one, it surprised me. Um, a guy we don't talk a ton about, Noah Clowney. Yeah. Um, there's been some buzz about him uh, much earlier than expected, so so he could be a big riser. Um, yeah, it's hard to... I mean, Brandon Podzemski has has sort of been a gradual late riser in this whole uh, draft process. Another Santa Clara guy who is not going to be drafted as high as 12, but um, a, a lot of mocks have him as a first rounder. Now he's going to be in the green room, so um, he, he's someone to watch out for as well. He just feels like someone who's going to end up falling to the heat and just play forever. And everyone's like, how did you let this happen? And it's like, well, we all just it's like, well, it doesn't happen unless he goes to the heat heat culture as much as people make that's, fun that's of what it. we used to say about the spurs how'd you let the spurs get this guy i remember hearing that on the radio a few years ago they're like talking about ou football and they're like where would this guy fit this guy and they're like It'd be good on the patriots it's like yeah that's that's everyone that's not really like a big question it's like do you know who'd be good on the nuggets playing with Jokic? Mo- yeah. most players so that's the conversation now like oh man how much do you how much better do you think this guy would be playing for the nuggets it's like no kidding I might be in the NBA if I played on, uh, uh, um, I mean, I could make it work on the Nuggets. Like, come on. Like, he, he would make the least athletic among us better. He he made DeAndre Jordan uh, get some minutes out there. I mean, he wasn't playing with him, but yeah, they actually played DeAndre Jordan in the 2023 NBA Finals and didn't get murdered for it. But, that, but that's... Bones Highland, that's the only person we know of as of now that uh, Jokic does not make better. That's it. Um, him and uh, Yusuf Nurkic. That's about Bones it. Bones has to run the show out there. <sighs> just yeah, that's a whole different thing. Where he was <laughs> like, I feel like Paul George and Kawhi can do what he can do, but he can't do what those guys do. It's like, <laughs> go ahead and sit down for me. That's, that's <laughs> enough from you. But last thing here, um, do the Hornets or Blazers trade out of the top three? It feels like there's been so much talk about this. The Hornets. It feels like it's either like Brandon Ingram or. Zion or bust if they're going to trade out, but there's so many other guys if they are hell bent on competing right now that you could get like a Siakam, uh, Mikhail Bridges. I know that wasn't super available at three, but at two you're guaranteed Scoot. So I just uh, even uh, what if the Jazz wanted to trade Larry Markkinen for two? I just feels like there's yeah. so many possibilities, but the Hornets are the Hornets. There's no way of knowing they're probably somehow going to take the wrong Thompson twin that they didn't want it at, uh, want it to. Yeah, might might mix up their names or something. I don't trust the Hornets, what whatsoever. Um, I w- with the Hornets and, and the Blazers, I think it's like the least dramatic outcome, and and it just stands pat. I, yeah. I don't I don't see any big trades coming from them. I I think at this point, the Blazers take the best available at three, whether that be Scoot, whether that be Brandon Miller. And then try to convince Dame after the fact about why that's the best path forward. And if that doesn't work, then, you know, seems like the Dame trade stuff is feeling a little more real than it has in the past. I, I have no idea, obviously, but um, I don't think they can really let that mess them up. Like the, the second, the third pick is just so valuable. You yeah. know, it's like you can't make a short sighted move. Even if it's to appease the greatest player in the history of your, of your franchise, I mean, um, 
but I don't know. They're 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 in the toughest spot to me, just from like a balance standpoint. It feels like a couple looking for a fight and like trying to push the other person out. Where Dame's like, "If you get a cat, I'm leaving." And then, yeah. as a young player, and the Blazers are like, "Oh no, uh, we have this guy who's 19 here. Um, we didn't get your voicemail, but um, if yeah. you wanted to leave, or, or <laughs> it's it's like one of those situations where like like." Are you are you okay if I do this? And they're like, yeah. And it's like, are you sure you're okay? Like, you're not going to be mad at me. And then you do it, and then they're mad at you. Like, that's how I feel like Dame is viewing this uh, Blazers pick. Just Which, hey, he's well in his right to. Like, he's a uh, he is the most important guy in that organization. So, uh, I I understand it. It's just kind of a precarious situation. Yeah, all, all the Dame stuff. I was just very tiring talking about if he's going to stay or go, and just like let's let's just move on. It's time for a new chapter. If we if we make it past the summer though, and they do keep that draft pick, and Dame stays put, then we're not ever going to put it to bed. But then it seems even likelier that he's going to stay there forever. Like if he's okay with this, then you know at that point then. Whoever they pick will be all, you know, start to grow up and become a good player. And then you could have Shane Sharp pop and all of that stuff. So you, th- this might be like the last big hurdle for them to cross. Have you seen the meme of Dame where it's like him and it says, thank you for your toughest challenges and battles. And then it's like Jesus on the other end. It says, how are you still alive? <laughs> oh, boy. That's <sighs> it's it's Dame time. Time's up for him and this podcast. We're going to get out of here. But do you have any... um? draft night plans outside of you will be in Brooklyn. So definitely make sure to follow Joe on Twitter and keep up with all his coverage. Um, we'll have a pod definitely by Friday uh, talking about whoever the Thunder pick, but excited to see you in Brooklyn. Do you have any big plans? Are you going to see the bridge? Are you going to eat some pizza? I, I once walked across the Brooklyn bridge. Probably not something you need to do twice in your life. Uh, I think once is enough. I will be eating pizza. That much I can guarantee. It's going to kind of be a quick trip. Like I get in Wednesday evening, draft this Thursday, and then I come back Friday. Um, and then the new picks are introduced. So kind of a whirlwind of a situation. Um, but I will say, shameless plug. I mean, thank you guys for for listening to the pod and supporting it. Um and reading our coverage at the Oklahoman and subscribing because those subscriptions are the reason we are able to go to stuff like this and bring you the kind of coverage that I don't think uh, you're going to find elsewhere around here. So um, we uh, we certainly appreciate that in, in advance. Looking forward to seeing you on the red carpet in the, the suit with shorts on like uh, Trey Young a few years ago. So real quick, the red carpet last year at the draft. I didn't even know like it was a thing that I guess I knew it existed, but I didn't know how big of a deal it was because like that's where we could just like talk to anyone we wanted. And like, you know, most of it was like GQ and, you know, fashion reporters. Oh, like, what are you wearing and stuff? And I'm not really a what are you wearing type guy because then they'll tell me and I'll be like, cool, never heard of it. Um I don't, maybe that's all I had to say about this. Oh, anyway, I, I just like felt totally out of my element. Like I'm just, you know, wearing khaki pants and a button down and 
walking across the red carpet getting in the way of much better dressed humans. It reminds me of Giannis where they the Bucks in the tunnel asked him, they're like, what are you wearing? Who are you wearing? And he points to his jacket. He goes, team issued. He goes, pants, <laughs> team issued. Water bottle, stole it from the hotel. <laughs> it's just like, you're making $50 million. I think you can you can do these other things if you need to. But Joe, thanks for coming on. Um, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to enter the giveaway. We will be announcing that on the, the Friday pod after the draft. Uh, so get out there and like, comment, subscribe, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast at Thunderbud on Twitter. And we'll be back again for more Thunder and draft reaction coverage on Friday.